Hi, I'm lead pastor, Noel Peepgrass. Welcome to the Exeter Valley Church Podcast. Our church plant started in 2021 with the goal of seeing God's kingdom extended in our hometown. You're welcome to join us Sundays at 10 a.m. in our historic building at 218 Pine Street. For more information, head on over to www.exetervalleychurch.com or visit our Instagram page. Thanks for listening. I wonder, I've heard that public speaking is one of people's uh, deepest, darkest fears. I think I have found that public reading might be something people are more afraid of than public speaking. I could be wrong, but um, all right, you guys. Yeah, it's so good to be together. Um, I, um, wow, that was church discipline there in the front row. Keep your hands yourself, please. Um, <laughs> I, Megan's been gone since Thursday, and not only has Megan been gone, but Cooper's been gone, my oldest daughter. She's 14, so the two most responsible people in our house are, are gone. And uh, we've done all right, right? Sorry, I'm sorry, Gunnar, you're a good reader, but you're not one of the two most responsible people in the house. Um, so, but, but you know, I, I did, sometimes, um, yeah, sometimes I get nervous about how it's gonna go on Sunday or, you know, wanting it to go really well, wanting it to be like worth showing up to, you know. Um, yeah, and I mean, yeah, like, if I'm honest, like, I, I spend a lot of emotional energy sometimes, like, with those concerns and fears, and I don't know, maybe I've said it before, but I just, I love you guys so much, and I'm so thankful just to be with you, um, and I, I just, I sometimes feel like, uh, yeah, just like when we're here, I just, it just all seems to center and get right, and uh, yeah, thanks for being here this morning. I appreciate your presence. I really do. It means a lot to me, um, and uh I'm thankful too. You know, I feel like uh, I had some real like attack. I feel like this uh, this week, just just some voices in my head. I think that were saying things to me that not what God would say to me. You know, like yeah, just like you can't do it. You don't have enough. You're not enough. Like you'll never make it happen. Whatever. You know, those kind of voices. I don't know if you ever have those kind of voices. And um, I um. I talked to Megan on the phone Friday morning and um, yeah, she just said some encouraging things to me and it, it like made a big difference for me. So to the encouragers in the room, just like keep encouraging. I think it does make a difference, but I also think that, that Megan was speaking, like I needed to hear God's voice from her, you know, if, I don't know if that makes sense. I think sometimes you can relate, like maybe you've, need to, you've needed to hear like uh, your dad's voice say certain words that only he could say, or, or maybe it was your mom or your loved one or whatever. Maybe it was your child, you know? Anyway, super thankful for that, that, uh, man, just that we get to rest in his work, you know? It doesn't mean that we don't, like, try hard, but ultimately, he's the one that's done the work that's worth doing. So I'm so thankful for Jesus. Um, and as we've been studying this Sermon on the Mount, we are, like, several months into the study of this Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5, 6, and 7 from the book of Matthew. And uh, I want to say, like, I am astonished and uh, just, like, super impressed at this Jesus guy that we've been studying. And maybe, you know, you're like, yeah, you're a pastor. You should be. Um, and it's true. But maybe, like, in a new way, as we study together, I've just, like, realized, man, Jesus is amazing. His ways are brilliant. And, uh, man, I, I just hope that you pick up on that as we study the brilliance of Jesus, like, He's a real person. He, uh, 
he like gave us an amazing way to live um, and it leads to life. Like it leads to life. His ways lead to life. And that's one of the things that we're going to be really theming on this morning. So uh, in this sermon, Jesus has been telling us about the characteristics of his kingdom, the characteristics of his kingdom. You know, he said things like, blessed are the poor in spirit. You remember that? Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the persecuted. He said those things. He's also, uh, he, in this sermon, he's encouraged us to be salt and light to the world. He's, uh, he's taught us the way that his teaching sets up as the fulfillment to what we call the Old Testament or what he called the law and the prophets. He's taught us that, uh, this one was hard, that, that resentment is like murder. Yeah, he taught us that. Said the same thing, carrying anger towards your brothers, the same thing as murder. He also said that lust was the same thing as adultery. Uh, he said, tell the truth, don't lie, honor your oath, turn the other cheek, love your enemy, don't give, fast, and pray for show, do them in secret if you have to, because it's not about you, right? He said, store up treasures in heaven. He said, don't worry, you can trust me, not me, but him, right? He said, don't judge, right? He said, uh, in prayer, persist, ask, seek, knock. So these are some of the amazing things that Jesus has taught us in this sermon. And uh, last week, uh, we had a guest, Andre, our uh, Russian slash Ukrainian friend, Andre, uh, who did a great job teaching on the narrow gate, uh, chapter 7 of Matthew, verses 13 and 14. And uh, I think Andre was good at telling us that Jesus is basically, he's coming to the climax or the, the conclusion of this sermon you know, and he's presenting us with a choice. And that is what we have. We have a choice to, to accept Jesus' kingdom ways or to reject them. And as Jesus said, the choice of accepting his ways is like a narrow gate on a, that leads to a narrow road that's hard, but it leads to life. And I just want to like focus on that for a moment because I think like in, in our world today, I don't think that we, uh, well, our world is telling us that you actually don't have to make a choice. Our world is telling us that what's good for you is good enough. Whatever you feel like is what's right. If you feel like this, well, then that's your right. If you feel like that, well, then that's what's right from you, for you, right? And as we, as we learn to fall in love with Jesus, which... By the way, many people, Christians and non-Christians alike, love Jesus and his teachings. But this is the stuff that we have a hard time with. The choice that he presents us with. So sometimes uh, as we get to this point in the sermon, you know, it can feel like, oh yeah, Jesus, you're, you're awesome. Like your kingdom ways are amazing. Like we should love our enemy. We should not hold resentment. The world would be awesome if we lived like that, you know? Um, but this starts to feel kind of hard and narrow now that we have to make a, a choice. <clears throat> but thankfully, as Jesus told us, or as Jesus told us last week, maybe Jesus did tell us through Andre, as Andre told us last week, um, Jesus is the narrow gate. He's our entrance to this really hard, narrow road that leads to life. And so, uh, yeah, so while we've been, we've been studying these incredibly beautiful and admirable teachings that sometimes feel impossible, like how could we ever be all these things? And one of the things that we learned last week is that Jesus is the way. 
Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. It's in him and through him that we have access to this way of living, which just makes him even more beautiful, right? Like not only is his way amazing, but his way of getting us there is amazing because we could never get there on our own. That's what I'm saying. I just like I, the more I've been able to study and you should be jealous of me who gets to study and, and really look hard at these things because they're so amazing. So now we come to the last verses of this Sermon on the Mount. And uh, last week we studied how we've got a choice, narrow gate or wide gate. Right. And, and in the next couple passages, Jesus has some warnings for us. See, because he wants us to enter the narrow gate, right? He wants us to walk down the hard, narrow road because it leads to life. This is what Jesus wants for us. He wants life. And I don't know if you've ever felt this way. I remember as a kid, like, I would, like, think of the things that I would do if I didn't, you know, if I didn't have to be a Christian. Oh, I would do this. I would do that. You know, as if, like, my faith and Jesus' ways we're limiting me from actually living life. Do you know what I'm saying? Have you ever related to faith that way? As like a set of rules, right? That you had to follow, you know? And they were actually keeping you from the life that you wanted to live. But that's not the way it is with Jesus. The narrow, hard road, it actually leads to life. We get deceived into thinking that the wide road, that's easy, will lead to us being able to do whatever we want to do. But in reality, in Jesus' ways, that's actually the road to destruction. Doing whatever you want to do, the easy road, that leads to death. It leads to destruction. It's so tempting, though, because it is really, really easy. So this sermon, uh, many call this sermon the law of Jesus. In a lot of ways, I think I've said this at different points, it's, it's kind of like Moses setting up the Old Testament law, like the Ten Commandments of, of Moses. Uh, those first five books in the Old Testament, we call them the Torah. Or I guess that's what the Hebrews called them. Anyway, so this is Jesus' version of Moses' you know, law. And at the end of this sermon, just like at the end of Moses' presentation of the Torah, there's some warnings for staying on track. So Jesus has said, choose the narrow gate. Choose the narrow gate, follow the narrow road. And now he's giving us uh, some warnings about how to do it. Uh, I wanted to read um, Deuteronomy 30 because I think this is a really powerful connection. Uh, so here we go. Deuteronomy 30, verse 15. See, I set before you, so this is Moses at the end of his law. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you're entering to possess. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. And this is the choice that's before us today, the choice that Jesus presents, life and death, blessings and curses. And as he's made, made us aware of this narrow gate by which we walk this road that leads to life, He's got some warnings for us. Specifically today, he's going to warn us about these, these things called false prophets. <clears throat> false prophets come at us in all forms, but in all cases, they appear to be divinely inspired, right? So a false prophet is someone or something or some message that appears to be divinely inspired. 
when in reality, it's not divinely inspired, right? It's, uh, it's something that appears to be or is posing as the words of God, when in fact, they are not the words of God. False prophets will woo us off the narrow road to their wide, comfy road, the easy road. So Jesus is saying, look, you've got to stay on the narrow road, right? And as he gives that instruction, you've got to make a choice, right? You've got to choose narrow or wide. And the next thing he does is he warns his people. He warns his followers that, hey, there's going to be these false prophets, because there were already in that day false prophets who are going to try and tempt you off the narrow road. <clears throat> so this passage is specifically about uh, this, this idea or these false prophets uh, whose ways don't lead to life, right? So Jesus is, the narrow road is not about narrowing your fun. It's not about narrowing your enjoyment of life. The narrow road is about actually delivering you life. It's about keeping you away from death and destruction. So Jesus, knowing that these false prophets exist, he warns us of them. I was thinking of uh, an example in parenting, right? You could relate, those of you that are parents or if you've had parents, a, a good parent warns their kids, Right? A good parent will at times warn their kids. And it's not that you don't want your, your kid to have fun with his friends. It's not that you want, you know, your, your, what, it's not that you want your kid to be like made fun of because they don't do X, Y, or Z. It's that you want your kids to have life, right? This is why we warn our kids. Uh, Gunner's learning to drive now. He's got his driver's permit. Um, another prayer request I didn't, I didn't mention this morning. Um, but... <laughs> I have found myself, as I drive with him early on in this process, giving a lot of warnings, right? Like, I, I don't take anything for granted on the road with him. Not be, he's doing a great job. It's, it's nothing like that, but I'm like a little nervous still, you know, but I warn him a lot, right? Like, there's a stoplight coming ahead, or, you know, we're at an unprotected green, you know, and, and wait for that car that you got the, the right of way. Why? Because I don't want death and destruction to follow. So I give him warnings, right? Now, maybe I'm a little bit overzealous in my uh, nervousness, you know, but I mean, there's forgiveness for all of us, right? But warnings are what a loving father gives his son. That's the point that I'm trying to make. And uh, this passage is specifically Jesus' warnings to us, his children, whom he really loves. Uh, it's also specifically about false prophets, but I think it applies to like all of us. It's really, uh, it's really about like true believers, true disciples, not just false prophets. So uh, as, we're, um, as we're thinking to ourselves that we want to be aware of those, right? Them over there, those false prophets over there, um, lest we be led off the narrow road. I think we also need to be aware of not being a false prophet ourselves, right? We're all ministers of the word. Like, just because I'm up here uh, speaking and preaching doesn't mean I'm the only prophet in the house today. Like you will all instruct somebody through your life, through your words, in the ways of Jesus. So we're all prophets in this sense. So let's take, you know, let's shine that mirror back on ourselves today. Uh, and, you know, maybe it's just that I'm looking for company this morning. I will admit when you're, you know, as a, as a preacher, when you're teaching a, a passage on beware of false prophets, you, you're like a little concerned that the people are looking back at you thinking, like, yeah, like you. We need to be wearing, you know, false prophets like you. It's like, dang, I better get it right this morning. So anyways, company, we're all in this together. We're all in this together. Um, but yeah, it is, you know, it's, it's kind of challenging to read these words of Jesus. But I think, like, if the word of God does not challenge you, you're not reading the word of God correctly. This should challenge us. 
okay? And I was thinking as, we, as I reflected on the Sermon on the Mount and how, like, how like, high Jesus' standard is, I was like, man, all of this that Jesus is teaching is really setting us up well for the gospel, right? For the, for the death and the resurrection of Jesus because I can't do all these things. I certainly need him to have lived the perfect life for me and to die in my place for my sins, right? And that's what we get to celebrate in a couple weeks um, uh, at Easter time. So um, also, you know, this, this passage, it's as much about, I think, the truth as it is the people who proclaim it. Uh, because the, Jesus' warning against false prophets has with it the assumption that there's falsity out there, right? That there is some, like, objective moral standard. Do you know what I'm saying? And, and maybe for you, because, I mean, your butts are in the seat on a Sunday morning, so you may take that for granted, right? You may take for granted that there are people in our world who do not believe in truth, right? Whatever's true for you is true for you. Who am I to tell you what's true? Who am I to tell you what's right and wrong? Right? And we see this all over the place. And I don't want to pick, like, I don't want to pick too many fights, but there's an extreme hostility to truth in our culture right now. Right? Like, just for example, what's the truth about the definition of gender and sexuality? What's the truth about the definition of murder as it relates to the abortion debate? You know? Um, like, uh, the, the, our society's truths, individualism and tolerance, They've led to the false prophecy of universalism, right? That there's many roads. Any road leads to life. Like, these are the values of our culture. They stand in the face of the truth that Jesus teaches. It reminds me of what Paul said in 2 Timothy 4, 3-4. You've probably heard this before. For the time will come. The time has come. <laughs> the time has come. When people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Like, is there not a better description of the world that we live in than those two verses right there? These false messages, they're, they're all around us. You know, they're in the shows we watch. They're in the influencers that we follow, the news stations we're loyal to, the politicians we voted for. And uh, they're even in the sermon, some, of, some preachers that we podcast preach. It can be really tempting to ditch the hard, narrow road and head over to the wide, easy road. Our culture's road is super wide. It's super easy. Whatever's good for you. Whatever's good for you. Go ahead. I'm not here to tell you what's true and not true. Isn't that what our culture is saying? That is the truth of our culture. But that road while tempting, leads to what? Destruction. Death. And so this morning, it's my job to warn you. To warn you about these false prophets. To warn you about false doctrines. About false beliefs. And to point you to Jesus and his narrow way. <clears throat> so we come to the words of Jesus in this book of Matthew. Uh, we're looking for the way. We're looking for the truth. We're looking for them because they lead to life. And uh, let's look to Jesus together. In, in, in Jesus, we have redemption from sins, right? And, and by grace, through faith, 
We have the ability to live according to a way of life that we can never attain on our own, right? And that's what I told you this morning. Like, listen, this way of Jesus, it feels like a really high standard, and it is a really high standard. In fact, you need his death and resurrection in order to do it. You cannot do this life the way he wants it without his death and resurrection. You need somebody to die the death that you deserve to die, the death that I deserve to die. All right, so here we go. So uh, what is a false prophet? I got some cool little slides here. This is a great picture, I think. Verse, uh, verse 15 of Matthew 7. Watch out for false prophets! Exclamation mark. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. So a false prophet is someone who speaks as if they've got the divinely inspired word of God. But in fact, they don't. They're not speaking God's words. So Jesus' first metaphor for describing a false prophet is the wolf dressed in sheep's clothing. I think the thing that's interesting about this picture is that, you know, what a, a sheep is like maybe the number one metaphor for what? Followers of Jesus, right? In the Bible, you know? So these wolves, they don't just look like a random other animal. They look like followers of Jesus. They're often disguised and clothed in uh, disciples' uh, clothing. So this is actually a really uh, a good metaphor because these false prophets, they look similar to Christian, to Christians, but they're not. In fact, they're ferocious like a wolf. They're like the opposite of a sheep. And if you were, uh, if you were living in ancient Palestine, this metaphor would probably be really effective at communicating to you the danger that these wolves bring. As I understand in a shepherding culture like that time, wolves were like the number one threat to the flock, the number one threat to these sheep. So like, it's not just, um, you know, like, oh, and I think we can do this, like, oh, this, his teaching, ah, there's like some truth in it. It's not like that bad, like, oh, God loves you. Yeah, there's, he does love you, you know? Like, it's not just like kind of bad. It's not just a little off. It's a dangerous predator. False prophecy, a false, uh, a false telling of the word of God is like a wolf. It's a dangerous predator. It's, it's a, someone who, who is preaching this message is really, really, really dangerous. Deadly. They're not just confused sheep, you know, not just sheep who've like got a few screws loose, oh, but we still love him anyways. You know, they're dangerous. They're ferocious wolves. So the first thing a false prophet is, is it's dangerous. It's a wolf. A false prophet is a wolf. And I'm saying it a lot because I think, listen, false prophets come in different shapes and forms. Sometimes it's a movie, right? Sometimes it's an actual person. Do you know what I'm saying? The message is the false prophet. The way of life that's being advertised is the false prophet. One of the things that's really deceptive, another D word, one of the things that's really deceptive about these false prophets is that they often use Christian language, okay? They often come from within the church. Notice, they're dressed like sheep. They're dressed like true followers. I was thinking about it this week, just reflecting on my experience growing up in the church. And I like had this realization, you know, the biggest threat to the church is Christians who aren't really Christians. The biggest threat to the church is Christians who aren't really Christians. And you're saying that's an oxymoron, but you get what I'm saying. It's those of us who are wolves dressed like sheep, who look like sheep, but 
aren't really sheep, right? Maybe like a, a, an example I could give is um, I grew up with Christian friends, right? And I grew up uh, as one of the kids in church who didn't go to Christian school. I went to public school. And at public school, I was well-behaved. I knew very clearly the difference between Christian, not Christian, and I like, those things were separated. So I knew, like, I kept my behavior, like, on point for the most part, for the most part. But, like, when I would get around my Christian friends, we would just, like, do, like, more revelry, you know, like, just stuff that I would never do with my non-Christian friends. Does that make sense? And I just, I was thinking about that this week as, um, as I prepared, like, you know, sometimes the biggest threats come from within when we let our guard down, you know? Um, so, so anyway, uh, false prophets are dangerous. They're like wolves. They're also deceptive because they look like sheep, and that can be really, really, really confusing. So we've got to be aware that not everything is as it appears on the outside. So uh, verse 16 speaks to this idea. It, it's, he says in verse 16 that by their fruit, you'll recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes? Or figs from thistles? So Jesus' first metaphor was a wolf dressed like a sheep. His second metaphor is two types of trees. So he uses the thorn bush, uh, whose berries look very similar to grapes. Okay, and I've got a picture on the next slide that I'll show you. But they're actually poisonous berries. So they look like grapes, but they're actually poisonous. And thorn bush, what do you think it has on it? Thorns, right? So it looks like maybe it could be edible. It might be a nice color. It might be deceiving in that way, but it is not, right? And then thistle. I don't know if you've ever seen thistle, but thistle produces a bloom. And at the base of the bloom is like the, the shape of, of the base of the bloom actually looks a bit like a fig. So uh, Jesus is using these metaphors because people in that time would know what he was talking about. But the idea is that from a distance, these things look like they're good, right, and healthy. You've got to get close before you can see the difference. So the false prophets Jesus is talking about, they're dangerous like wolves. They're deceptive, right? Because they look like sheep. They look like true disciples. But they disclose themselves when you get close. Okay? So if these false prophets are so dangerous, how can we differentiate good from bad? Okay? And, and here's the picture. So it seems like that might be important, right? How can we differentiate a true prophet from a false prophet? How can we discern um, truth from folly? <clears throat> yeah, like, I mean, nobody wants to end up following a false prophet, do they? Like, nobody sets out to do that, I don't think, at the start of the day. We kind of get lured. So we've got to learn how to, as we studied just a few weeks ago, we've got to learn how to judge a little. We've got to learn how to exercise proper discernment, right? I said, uh, uh, Matthew 7, 1 says, uh, don't judge, right? You gotta, but, you know, we also find in different places of Scripture where actually Jesus does teach that we're to use discernment, right? But we've got to remove the plank from our own eye so that we can see clearly before we judge somebody else, right? So we do want to have discernment even though we're not supposed to judge. So that's why I said, don't judge, but judge a little. And this is a case where we've got to have, as uh, the Apostle Paul would say, a discerning spirit. We've got to have a spirit of discernment. Verse 17, 18, 19, and 20. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit. This is the second metaphor I told you about. But a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. And a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. So how do we recognize a false prophet? 
We recognize them by their fruit. Okay? So what's fruit? You know, and I, I love that. Um, have you ever heard, like in the grocery store, what's that section of the grocery store called? It's not the fruit and vegetable section. It's the produce section, right? It's the produce section. Produce. Produce. Why do we pronounce it differently? I'm not sure because English is a weird language, right? But fruit is the produce of a tree, right? It's the product of a tree. Fruit is the result of a healthy tree. Good tree, good fruit. Bad tree, bad fruit, right? Thorn bushes produce bad fruit. It's inedible, it's poisonous, and there's thorns. Thistle, that thing that looks like a fig, it's not a fig. It's got thorns and thistle all over it. You don't want to eat that. Uh, when I was growing up, uh, I worked in a packing house over the summers uh, while I was in high school. And I know that they had inspectors come and inspect the fruit, right? These inspectors made it their like, livelihood to be good at telling good fruit from bad fruit. And I assume that that was tied to the price of the fruit and all that stuff. Their entire job was to recognize good fruit, you know? And this is how we need to, to be as we discern true prophets from false prophets. Um, so three markers of the fruit of a good prophet. Good doctrine, good living, and good effect. Good doctrine, good living, good, good effect. So a, a good prophet, a true prophet, will teach good doctrine. So conversely, false prophets teach false gospel. Like, for example, there's only one way to life the narrow road, through the narrow gate, Jesus. But false prophets will preach a false gospel. They'll say that the road is wide, that the gate is wide. This is false prophecy. See, our, our culture has created its own gospel. Do whatever feels right to you, you know? It's like, oh my goodness, what a wide road that is. I see why it's appealing, because it is so easy to get onto that road. The only problem is that it leads to destruction. So I think we'd be wise to follow Jesus' advice. Um, I, my wife was having a conversation with a friend of ours that's uh, atheistic, an atheist, believes there's no God. And uh, this friend was saying, um, she's very smart. Evidently, she's like read the Quran and she's read the Bible and she's studied the teachings of Hindu. And even like uh, she was like, I guess she has relatives that are Jewish or something. So she was well versed in Judaism and she was like, I've read Jesus' teaching, and his ways are awesome. Jesus, his teaching is so great, she was saying. You know? and, but she's like, but I think all religions are good. This, was, this is what she was saying. But all religions are good. They teach some of the same ideas. And you know, if they produce like, good living, then they, they, all religions can be good for people. Okay? Yeah. So that's interesting. Jesus, you like Jesus' teaching. You think his ways are great. But Jesus also said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me, right? Jesus is the narrow gate. Good doctrine says you've got to make a choice, and there's only one way. That's good doctrine. And it, it feels like to our world, it feels unfriendly. It feels mean to tell people that if you don't choose this way, you're going to die. That feels mean, but I would propose that it's actually the opposite. If you know that this way leads to death. How vicious of a person could you be to let somebody walk down that path? You know what I'm saying? So it's out of uh, Jesus' great love for us that he gives us these warnings. Like I was saying earlier, he's like a father, like me, warning Gunner as he's driving down the road. So good doctrine is one of the markers of the fruit of a good prophet. 
But, but it's not just what you say that matters. Good living matters too. The life of a prophet is one of the ways that you can inspect the fruit that comes uh, from his life. And um, the major marker of good living is obedience. A good prophet is obedient to the will of the Father. Um, and uh, <clears throat> obedience, this is, I think, an important point to, to make known, is that obedience is not a state of being. It's a fruit. It's the produce of the way that you are. You obey because of how you are in your heart. Now, sometimes what we've done, another false gospel would be that you have to perform your way into good graces, right? Um, what's that country song, trying hard to get to heaven, where we come from, something like that? Working hard to get to heaven, where we come from? Alan yeah, Alan Jackson. Thank you, Gunner. Right? That is a false gospel that we've embraced at times in the church as if our obedience is what saves us. You could never be obedient enough to make up for the sins that you've committed. You, you can't do it. Your merit will never save you. Obedience does not save you. Obedience is what you do after you've experienced the grace of God. When you're in Jesus, he puts a new heart in you. Paul says you're a new creation. When you're in Jesus, you obey because of a changed heart. There is no working hard to get to heaven. That's a false gospel. Even though I love that song. Alan Jackson sings amazing. But that's a false gospel. Okay? So obedience, it's not a state of being. It's a fruit. It's the marker of an inner condition. And it's just like a fruit being the produce of a healthy tree. Could a peach tree produce an apple? No. Now, I know they do grafting and all this stuff now. So don't look. Alan's a farmer over here. I don't want to hear it, Alan, all right? <laughs> no, but you get what I'm saying, right? You get the point, right? That the tree will naturally produce whatever its biology tells it to produce. It's a state. The fruit is a state, or the fruit is a result of the state of the tree. The inner condition of the tree is what determines what kind of fruit will be produced. Okay? So good living. A, a true prophet, a good prophet, will demonstrate good living. And you can tell that's a, that's a type of fruit. If you get up close, you're going to see it. And then the last thing is that a true prophet will produce a good effect. What, do, uh, what does teaching of the true gospel produce? And you could, you could wait. Yeah, it produces life. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Um, it, it, false prophets are going to produce... Uh, I, I wrote the wrong word down. They're going to they're gonna produce like... Fighting, infighting, arguing, quarrelsomeness. Is that a word? Quarrelsomeness. Uh, they're going to produce disunity. This is what's produced by false teaching. But good teaching produces kindness, the fruits of the Spirit, right? Peace, patience. So these are the, yeah, joy. These are the effects. So sometimes you can see the effects of good teaching or false teaching, and then you know the fruit. Like a fruit inspector. That's one of the ways... To tell. So you've got good doctrine, good living, and good effect. These things are all markers of the fruit of a good prophet. But what about? What about? There's a couple instances in this passage that are like really kind of difficult to understand, right? Like, for example, there's a verbal prof uh, profession that's being made um, in, in verse 21. I'm going to go back so you can see it right here. So in verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. See, a verbal profession 
all the right words without obedience is not the fruit of a true prophet. That is like so convicting that on the final day of judgment, there's going to be people who stand before Jesus and cry out to him, Lord, Lord, with fervor, with passion, with meaning. And he's going to say, sorry, you haven't done the will of my father who's in heaven. Dang. A true prophet puts their money where their mouth is, right? A true prophet, a true follower of Jesus doesn't just talk it, they walk it. They practice what they preach. How about this next one? Verse 22. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Dang, so what about spiritual power? Surely signs and wonders, in Jesus' name no less, is an indicator of true discipleship. I was like incredibly convicted because I want to see the power of God come. I want to see people healed on my watch. I want to see demons cast out. I want to see like the prophetic rise up in our gatherings. I need it. We need the power of God. But that in and of itself, according to Jesus, is not a marker of true discipleship. <clears throat> These are good things, right? These are not bad things. Don't get me wrong. I don't want you to like, have this like, overwhelming cloud of suspicion over anybody who does like, things like this. These aren't bad things. Elsewhere in Scripture, I mean, Jesus, you know, he healed people. He cast out demons. He prophesied. He instructed us to do so as well. He said that we could do all the things that he did. These are good things. But in and of themselves, they're not markers. They're not fruits of a true prophet. See, we have to be careful because sometimes we want the sensational, but Jesus demands the simple. We can get like caught up emotionally in the experience of like these sensational spiritual activities but Jesus demands the simple. See, it's possible to work for Jesus and not live under him. And Jesus demands our obedience. Obedience is the marker of a true prophet. Those, like, those verses are so crazy. Um, you know that, uh, I've told you this before, Thomas Jefferson, he, like, he cut out the parts of the Bible he didn't like. And he, like, he, like wrote about this. And like, he, in a sense, he came up with his own faith. Right? A false prophet, <laughs> might I add. Of all Jesus' teachings in the Sermon on the Mount, these three verses that we're studying right now are the only three that Thomas Jefferson cut out. He liked Jesus' entire sermon, except this part. Thomas Jefferson, I don't think he knew how to rationalize. How could someone cry out to God and still like, be judged? How could somebody perform signs and wonders in Jesus' name and still be told, get away from me, depart from me, you're an evildoer. <clears throat> he couldn't stand the thought of a Jesus who stood in judgment, which is the, the last point. So we've got false prophets, fruit, and lastly, final judgment. Yeah, he couldn't stand the idea of a Jesus who stood in judgment. You know, which is, which is fine. It's fine that, to not like that idea, but... but if you don't like the, the idea of Jesus as judge, you got to throw out the whole Bible because that's what the Bible teaches, right? 
You can have the Jesus of the Bible or you can leave him. Take it or leave it. You can have him or you can leave him. But you can't have your own Jesus. You cannot have your own Jesus. You cannot have the Jesus like Thomas Jefferson that exists the way you want him to exist. That Jesus does not exist. You can have Jesus or you can leave him. But you, you can't have your own creation, right? And the, the Jesus of the Bible stands in judgment. Check out this quote. Theologian Richard Niebuhr says this of American liberal Christianity. I've heard it also called progressive Christianity. He says this is how he would describe this American version of liberal Christianity. A God without wrath, I'm sorry, a God without wrath brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of a Christ without a cross. This is not the gospel. For our sin deserves God's wrath. So he sent his son to bear the weight of our sins by his death on the cross. This is why we're going to celebrate at Easter. Because we had a problem with God. And we needed a solution to the problem. Otherwise, Easter, what's the point? There's nothing to celebrate at Easter if we didn't have a really, really, really big problem. Look, I, I wouldn't be loving you if I did not point out to you the uh, judgment of Jesus. Dale Frederick Bruner says this. This is a really great quote I read this week. A Jesus without judgment, a Jesus who does not care about the content of people's lives, does not exist. You can cut out his judgment as much as you want, but it does not change the truth. This Jesus of judgment exists. The Jesus of the Bible is a Jesus of judgment, and he's looking for obedience. He's looking for obedience. What does he say? According to Jesus in these verses, the key to winning the day of the final judgment is to know him. It's not to cry out to him with a verbal profession. It's not even to do signs and wonders in his name. The key to winning that day is to know him. Knowing Jesus is the key that unlocks the narrow gate. Knowing Jesus is how we walk the difficult road that leads to life. So I guess that's the question today. Do you know Jesus? Do you know him? Like really, do you know him? Did you know that oftentimes, like have you ever read Bible translations where it talks about S-E-X, right? With the phrase, then Adam knew Eve. Do you know Jesus? Like intimately, do you know him? Intimately, do you know him? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Do you talk to him? Do you listen for his voice? Do you listen to his words? Do you meditate on them day and night, as it says in the Psalms? Look, you've probably heard it said ad nauseum, perhaps, that Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship, right? In this instance, that's true. Do you know Jesus? He's the narrow gate. He's the leader. He's the one that leads us down the narrow road. He's the one from which we gain the ability to produce fruit. He's the life, the way, the truth, right? No amount of spiritual fervor or spiritual activity will get you there. You need Jesus. You need Jesus to make it to this destination. And you need to know him. This morning as we close, I just want to invite you to, uh, to come to the table. 
and receive again the broken body and the poured out blood of Jesus. See, he's made a way for us. That's what we're celebrating. This, is, this narrow gate is the way that Jesus has made for us by his death and his resurrection. This bread is broken by Harper this morning. And it represents Jesus' body broken for you, physically beaten, maimed, tortured for you, for me. Death on the cross was not just like an uh, like injection by lethal poisoning. It was torture. It was like brutal. It was humiliating. It was a spectacle. Jesus' body was broken for you and for me. His blood was poured out. It cost him blood, real blood, to die for our sins. But this is how he's made a way for us. By his death and his resurrection, we get to have relationship with him. We get to have life everlasting. And just like in Christianity, we get like uh, numb to these things. But listen to this. You get to have in Jesus life everlasting in perfect union with God. This is what you get. That is remarkable that we could have that. It is no small thing. Don't be numb to what you have in Jesus because of his broken body and his poured out blood. This is what we celebrate each and every week as we conclude our time of worship, okay? <clears throat> Let the broken body of Jesus, his blood poured out, lead you through the narrow gate this morning as we close down a narrow road, which at times is very hard, but leads to life. Exeter Valley Church, he has set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life. Amen? Amen. Amen. Uh, we're going to sing. You can uh, search your heart as we start to sing. For some of us, that takes a long time. For some of us, it's like, boom, I already know. I've been searching the whole way through. But when you're done searching your heart, you can come to the table and you can receive. You can remember what Jesus has done for us. Remember, this is for believers. If you're like, man, I don't know if I really have put faith in Jesus, then the table's not for you this morning. And uh, that's cool. Just like say no to the table this morning. But if your life is in Jesus, you're like, I want to follow him, then come remember together this morning. Um, this song is I Need You by Matt Mayer. Let's stand up and sing together.